Welcome to Gaining the Technology Leadership Edge, a podcast for tech executives. We provide strategies and tactics to help executives succeed and further their career goals. With interviews from industry experts, leaders, and innovators, this show will surely get you on the edge of your seat with thought-provoking advice on how to stay ahead of the competition. Welcome to Gaining the Technology Leadership Edge, a podcast exploring the latest trends, strategies, and insights in technology leadership. We'll discuss the most important topics and ideas shaping the industry today, from emerging technologies to digital transformation and beyond. Join us to learn all the juicy secrets of tech leaders, their biggest successes and failures on our quest for gaining that all-important technology edge. Are you ready? Let's get started. Our guest today is Sophie Thompson. Sophie is the co-founder and CEO of Virtual Speech, an award-winning education platform that combines e-learning with practice exercises online and in virtual reality. Welcome to the show, Sophie. Thank you very much, Mike. A pleasure to be here. So tell us more about your company. Um, So basically at Virtual Speech, we help people to improve workplace skills and communication skills through active learning on demand. Now, what's that mean? Um, We basically blend e-learning with practice exercises in virtual reality so that people can not just learn theory and techniques, but they can learn in a more active way um, by learning through experience, through virtual reality. Um, So the benefit of that is that virtual reality can provide a psychologically safe place to practice skills so that people can improve both their competence, but crucially their confidence as well. And they receive that feedback and then they can just practice straight away. So you no longer have to wait for the opportunity to practice public speaking, a job interview, sales and so on. You can now do that in virtual reality. Well, that's brilliant. I mean, I've often seen like these virtual reality games when you're out and about and I think, you know, what's the point, um, you know, but this is actually a kind of an interesting use for it because it can give you some experience with interviewing, which I think is mm-hmm. honestly from someone who's hired many, many people over the years, is pe- most people's weakness. They have a weakness there where um, I think it's the nerves combined with the, who knows what we're, what they're about to ask me. Um, and I really want this job. I want to work for these people. I think it makes it difficult for most people to uh, feel comfortable enough to to do that. Um, so what inspired you to go down this direction? To be honest with you, it was entirely by accident. So uh, we started Virtual Speech in 2015, so coming up to eight years now. And we started off to solve our own problems. So I had severe social anxiety at that point in my life. And I wouldn't order my own food in a restaurant. Um I was much younger, so if my parents had friends over, I would hide upstairs. I didn't want to talk to people. And I had a presentation coming up at university that was going to be assessed. And I was a very diligent student. And I thought, how on earth can I get out of this? And (laughs) the answer was that I couldn't. Um, But thankfully, (laughs) my friend came up with the perfect solution, Dom, my co-founder, that virtual reality could provide a psychologically safe place to build up my confidence so similar to cognitive behavioral therapy that you can go up um you can test your anxiety and your skills and so on in different levels so for example I could start off by presenting to one person and it can be five ten a hundred five hundred and so on 
And so, yeah, that's how we originally got started. And it was just created as some nerdy fun for ourselves. Um, and then within six months, it had 100,000 downloads. And I mean, if, if people think VR is new now, eight years ago, the VR community was very small. So 100,000 downloads was actually a huge proportion of that community. And we were getting really positive reviews. And we thought that's when we thought perhaps this could become a business and actually help a lot more people. Yeah, when I reviewed your website, mm -hmm. I noticed that you had um, different courses on um, like how to present on video is one that I that I remember. Um, leadership communication is another that I remember. So do you like um, fine tune those scenarios um, so that people then can practice those type of things? Yes. Yeah, so for example, the how to present over video one, which I'm suddenly really conscious of how I'm presenting right now. Um, we simulated a, a Zoom or a Teams call, basically, um, so that you can practice things like, for example, eye contact. You're supposed to look directly at the webcam. Obviously, that's very difficult to do and it's very unnatural, but you can practice that in a simulated environment. Um, watch yourself back, get feedback and so on. Yeah, it's actually one of the, uh, you know, using Zoom right now for this show, I'm actually thinking about switching to a different platform, but it, it's one of the difficulties because on our screen right now, um, you're side by side with me. And so I have a tendency to want to look to my left and look you in the eye. When mm. reality, I need to look <laughs> at the camera because if I look you in the eye, everyone's seeing the side of my head. So Yeah, um, exactly. That's kind of interesting. I mean, it seems like you thought guys thought of a lot of, um, a lot of, I mean, I'm actually browsing through it right now. Just a lot of different um, scenarios that, um, gosh, there's even stretching at your desk. That's brilliant. I mean, there, there's just a lot of different scenarios in here that I think people could really benefit from. So um, typically, who who utilizes um, your software? Um, so we have there's two arms to the business, really. There's the direct to consumer and then there's enterprise side as well. Um, so consumers, you can just go on the website and, and sign up to the platform. Um, but then we also have um, Fortune 500 companies and um, nearly 100 universities at the moment as well using virtual speech. <clears throat> universities will use it to help students improve their public speaking skills and also in their careers departments to help them with job interviews and making sure that they're workplace ready when they come out of university. From an enterprise perspective, they tend to have access to the full course catalogue. So that's public speaking, leadership, active listening, DEI, and so on, um, so that they have that breadth. But the key difference is, is that people can learn in a more proactive way. So it has the, the scalability of e-learning but then you can have practice exercises um, whether you do them in virtual reality if you have a headset but you can also do them online if you don't have a headset so there's also not that like bottleneck if you like that if you don't have a headset or if your organization doesn't have headsets um, you can still do the practice exercises having said that most of our clients do use the virtual reality component okay and then you know before, when we were speaking earlier <clears throat> You seemed a little excited about um, your AI integrations. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Wow. Yeah. I mean, I could talk about this probably for the next hour. So <laughs> I'll try and be brief. Um, so we use AI in a few ways. So um, 
pray the chat GPT era, if you like, <laughs> will use AI to give feedback on delivery. Um, and so that would be feedback on use of hesitation words, pace, volume, eye contact, tone, listenability, keyword analysis, those kinds of things. But it was very focused on the delivery and not on the, the content or the context of what people had said. So then when um, GPT came out and obviously everybody was going crazy for it, we were also going crazy for it because we realised that this could be the answer to our most frequently responded feedback about having avatars being able to have a, a free-flowing conversation. So now we use generative AI to provide feedback on the content and context of what people are saying as well. So, for example, if you deliver a presentation about, um, I don't know, the tech industry in Europe, um, instead of being told um, your eye contact, listenability and so on, which is valuable in itself, but does have a limit, you also get told how well you structured the presentation, for example. It will ask you questions based off what you've said. So you can practice questions an audience might ask you in a more realistic way. And the third way which we now use it is for role play conversations. So pre-tools like ChatGPT in the learning space anyway, the, the closest thing I, I think would be like branch learning scenarios, which are pre-programmed and obviously did and do have their benefits but with <clears throat> generative AI now that role play is in real time you can have it directly at the point of need and it will respond to you based off what you've said it's not pre-programmed it's like having a role play conversation with your friend or colleague except you don't have to pester someone to practice with you and that's been really useful for our clients in terms of um, practicing difficult conversations um, job interviews, performance reviews, um, giving and receiving negative feedback, um, those kinds of scenarios tend to be where it's more popular. That's amazing because I, the whole concept of, like you said, how to have a difficult conversation with somebody, it's not something you could you used to be able to practice. Um, you either had experience with it or you didn't. And it was trial by fire. You know, you, you're faced with, you're the supervisor, you're faced with having to have this difficult conversation. Uh, you just have to go do it. Um, the concept to me that you could practice that ahead of time is brilliant because I mean, usually, usually sensitivities are the things that people mess up in those kind of conversations. And I think it would become quite obvious to them if they practiced it that, wow, you know, I'm, I'm coming off a little with too much of an edge here or whatever. Um, it's easier, what do they say? 2020 hindsight, right? So it's easier to look back and, and have perfect vision than it is at the time. So that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and so how are your clients utilizing um, your AI integrations? Um, so it's mostly around crucial conversations. Um, so for the reasons that you said, I mean, even things like if you were to practice with GPT in VR, you can then listen to yourself back but also watch yourself back so you can put yourself say in the audience or in the in other employee's shoes um, and watch the avatar talking but it's you talking so you can get a better idea of of how you've come across um, but also it can help you to prepare for different scenarios so if the the avatar is programmed to be 
angry or calm, that's much more realistic than um, and helps you to prepare much more effectively if you've already dealt with somebody who's angry, like an angry customer, for example, um, but you don't know what they're going to say. Whereas with branch learning, for example, you can start to learn what what people would say. Um, so, yeah, they use it there. And then also the other big one is for those questions after they've practiced a presentation. So people could already do things like upload their own slides, notes and questions into VR. But again, there's there's a level of predictability there. You don't have that emotional response as if you're in VR, but you know what's going into the app because you've put it in. Um, but now um, the generative AI, <clears throat> excuse me, will ask people questions based off what they've said, um, which again, is just much more realistic because when you're speaking to an audience, you might think there's certain themes they might ask you about, but sometimes you might get a real curveball or somebody ask you very specific and you've not practiced that. So it can really help you to think on your feet. But what type of feedback does it give you? So if um, I go through that exercise of, of practicing, say, let, let's say that I'm practicing having a difficult conversation with somebody. Um it sounds like you can program it to be angry, not angry, confused, et cetera, which is great because, I mean, you don't ever know what you're going to face in that. So what kind of feedback does it give you on that? Um, so that will measure things like your tone and certain words that you've said. Um, so, for example, if if somebody's angry and you haven't diffused the situation, it will know if you haven't diffused the situation. Um, obviously, ultimately, you're talking to a bot so it doesn't have feelings itself it's basically yeah. what we've told it to feel um <laughs> so it won't progressively get angrier but there it can be programmed for certain words that would mean that it then changes its persona um so yeah the main thing really is is around tone and certain keywords um yeah that's basically what the two main ones are there that's really interesting um Tone, tone is, that's a really important one, but does it, does it actually, would it ever give you potentially feedback? Like these days, um, DEI initiatives are really huge um, within businesses and, you know, some use it the right way, some use it the wrong way. We won't talk about that. Um, but will it recognize potential like DEI issues? You know, maybe, maybe you're not um, being inclusive enough with a person. Um, will it recognize that and give you feedback <laughs> on that? By default, no, it would have to be programmed to it because ultimately it's just, I mean, in the back end, it's just a robot with a ton of data. Right. <laughs> um, so if we programmed it to ensure that there was inclusive language used, et cetera, um, then it could, but by default, it doesn't. Having said that, there's certain pre-programmed scenarios that we have, for example, a disciplinary around um, sexual harassment or around racism. Now that has more of that language included in it because that's extremely important, even more so in those kinds of conversations. And also um, it will pick up on, for example, if somebody's being too direct or is coming across as aggressive rather than understanding or persuasive and so on so those there's nothing pre-baked in it's just kind of facts if you like baked in until you go in with the with the prompts and then then you can have more control over it sure sure um because that's one of the like one of the things that 
teaching people how to communicate properly is not always the easiest thing. We all have done what we've done for years. And then when we're told, oh, you're doing it the wrong way or the way you're doing it might be slightly offensive. Sometimes it comes as a shock to people. Um, mm -hmm. I know a lot of my clients, they're, you know, they're CTOs and they speak techie speak. They speak in a lot of jargon. They speak with a lot of acronyms and it's not understood by non-techie people a lot of the time. And usually, um, you know, you sound like you're a different CE type of CEO, but most CEOs don't understand the techie speak at all. So then, then it, it makes them uncomfortable and they wonder like, are they, you know, are they railroading me here? Like, are they, is this really, are they really speaking this way because that's how they speak? Or are they speaking this way because they're covering something up? So I always try to teach them how to speak um, more user-friendly is what I call it. Like, you know, don't, don't use um, terms that uh, they're never going to understand. You know, um, I'm, I'm interestingly, like, even up until this year, I bet you if someone had said artificial intelligence or AI, people wouldn't have had a clue what it meant. Now, of course, more people do. So is there any way to like use your system to help people maybe fix that issue of where they're just overuse of jargon, that type of thing? Is there any way to fix yeah, that? So speaking to be understood rather than just speaking to tell. So that's where the, the listenability metric would come in. You could also um, do a custom prompts. We recently launched custom prompts where you can state that you would like it to look out for jargon and give you feedback on that. But um, I'd say the easiest option would be the, the listenability route. That's amazing because it's a very difficult thing to teach people without having them do lots and lots of practice. And of course, it's funny when you, when you tell somebody, Hey, I'm let's do some role play on you talking less technical. They always get it right away. It's the, but then, then you'll like, I've actually been on calls with clients and then someone will come in and Hey, I have to ask you something real quick. And then they, they say, hold on, Mike. And then they, they talk to the person and I say, now you did so great in our direct role play but then you just jargoned that all over that person you know and and it's true they are not i think it's the repetition part that i like about what you're doing here it's um you can try it again and again see if you're getting better at it um if you're fixing the issues that the uh, um, software is identifying that you have through you know through all this um where do you see it going with AI? What what are what are some next steps that you see coming? Well, that's a big question. Um, I mean, we recently <clears throat> created the ability for our customers to have to issue their own custom prompts, um, so they can do their custom role plays now. Um, we we've been able to expand our our language availability that we can have with those role plays because of GPT now as well. Um, so before we were, everything was in English and and that was that. <laughs> um, whereas now the anything that's powered by GPT or has a GPT contribution in there on virtual speech can now be accessed in, in five languages at the moment, but we will add more languages. In terms of AI more generally, I mean, everything's moving so quick, it's really hard to say where we might go next um I would hope that there's a point I mean I I'm not technical enough to know if this is possible or when it would be possible that there's a point where we can train AI models to remove say biases that we might have as humans because it's trained based off human language and 
and societies, but we are flawed. And I think it's important that people remember that AI is also flawed because it's created by humans who are flawed. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> I think over time, and I think and I hope there becomes a way that that AI can become a bit more moral, if you like, um, have a bit more of a moral compass or a bit more of a, a perfect uh, language than perhaps humans have. So, I mean, when you were talking about making sure that language is inclusive, will there be a point where it automatically uses inclusive language? So um, those kinds of things. But I have no idea if that's possible or when it would be possible. Hopefully somebody will watch this in five years and be like, oh, we're doing that. <laughs> well, it, it's, it is kind of, I, I think it is possible to do that because what I've already seen, like specifically with ChatGPT is um, one of the many businesses we run here, um, we have a, a merchandise shop online and we sell t-shirts with crazy sayings on them. And we get political sometimes and it's all sides. It doesn't matter. You know, you could be left, right, middle, doesn't matter. We have funny sayings for that. Well, the, a couple of times we were doing like a Trump shirt and a Biden shirt, and we'd ask it to come up with like sayings about that. And it would tell us, oh, I can't do that. I'm not allowed to talk about politics. <laughs> Go, mm. what? <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of makes sense. You know, how yeah. do you, because if you think about it, how do you make IA, AI neutral enough that um, it's just offering an opinion rather than a partisan opinion, you know? And obviously the programmer has a lot to do with that, um, whether it's partisan or not. Um, I just find it interesting. It, it just shuts you up right away. It's like, nope, sorry, we can't can't talk about yeah. that. Um, well, yeah. Well, sorry, I was gonna say we oh, once had a we had a client in the early days of this integration who wanted to use virtual speech in a in a prison, in a jail. And we basically spent an afternoon trying to to break it, if you like, because they were concerned that could people get ideas for escaping and that sort of thing oh, through GPT. So we were like spent an afternoon like pretending to be criminals basically to see if it would if it would give us tips on like drug deals or something. And actually it was it was very good as you said that it was very much like oh I, I wouldn't recommend that or I don't think that's a good idea. And it was it's generally very good on but I mean that's something very obvious if you're asking GPT about a drug deal. It's it's probably knows to say no to that one. Well, yeah, I, and I think I, I think it's kind of interesting though how um, it can be used for like like for instance a, a real obvious use of AI in general, just marketing materials. Um, it you made a great point earlier, no emotion, right? So it's not going to it, it's not going to look at something that you ask it to write and be offended by it or whatever just going to give you all right anyone who might be interested in this these are the benefits they might that you might want to mention um as your selling points it's just kind of interesting to me how, how that works but have you even seen some marketers on linkedin especially who put out like one prompt every couple of weeks of what they use it for and the amount of complexity that they put into um these prompts down to like a full paragraph of background about what they're trying to write to. And then they define variables within the issue. So, you know, company name, this is the company name, person's name, this is the person's name. And then that thing will come up with an outline for like a speech, for instance, in a matter of seconds that um, is 
pretty close to what you'd want to use in your speech. I mean, it's not exactly, but it's it's pretty close. Thanks I find all the time. <laughs> yeah. And it's it, well, exactly. Well, one of the things, it's why we use Jasper um, in our business because we're we're super busy and we try to run super lean. And so we don't have a huge staff. Uh, we only have um, ourselves plus three. Uh, so there's five of us. And it's like writing blog posts. It's necessary to get the stuff out there. But to get a first draft can take hours, but not if you use AI. You can get a first draft in minutes and then go through and spend those hours you would have spent on the first draft, making it a nice piece that then goes out. I mean, we never, ever publish what it gives us because it's funny thing is it'll repeat itself too. Like if you read it carefully, you're like, wait, I heard that sentence already. It's up here. <laughs> but what I do find amazing about AI, like I'm a chess player and one of the first um, newer uses of AI was um, the chess program Alpha Zero. And it gave even the best chess players in the world pause to think about how the game actually works because it would do things that no human would ever do uh, and yet plays at a super strong level. And all they did to teach it was feed it um, they taught it the, how the pieces move and they fed it a bunch of high level games and just had it go through and look at them. I, I don't quite know how it, it learned how to play chess so well from that, but it gave even the, at the time that world champion started implementing some of the concepts that came from the AI, they just thought about the game a completely different way. And I wonder sometimes, I call it the four minute mile effect. I wonder if it's like when Roger Bannister broke the four minute mile, you know, prior to him doing it, no one could do it because everyone said it was impossible. Humans couldn't break four minute mile. He did it. And then a whole host of other people did it right after him. And it almost seems like because he did it, humans realized they could do it and they went, you know, they went crazy with it. I think that's one where AI and education and I want you to speak to this. AI and education really seem to go hand in hand because it ha now we have the opportunity for something that's not emotional to teach us things uh, in a way that um, maybe humans wouldn't have taught us. So what do you think about that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think so. I think going back to your, your chess example, I think that's... I mean, I'm sure there's many layers to it that I'm not aware of, but my <laughs> first thought with it is around the habits of humans. As humans, we say if I was a world champion chess player, I probably had certain moves that I know about, but there's probably, if I was to read a proper formal handbook of it, there would be things that I'd forgotten. So then when AI tells you, oh, but it is possible, you're like, okay, so now I've just got to find the way. So I think it's good for, for opening up our minds to possibilities I think there is a lot of um sensationalism around AI and what may be and I mean I, I do have my own reservations as well um but also I think it gives us a good opportunity so I mean before we had something like a calculator we were doing things manually but now we don't have to and that doesn't mean that we're more stupid it just means we don't need that anymore we've got it on our phones it's fine so when it comes to learning other things I don't think for example AI would necessarily replace say teachers because they they bring a lot more than just 
the the knowledge that they share they they bring so much more to that but could teachers for example use ai to help to gamify learning more um or to help bring learning to life more for people um and i mean even from a vr perspective i think that it can be a good leveler in the future in that people could meet in virtual like lecture halls and everybody can be taught by a professor in Stanford. You don't need to move there to to do your um, degree there anymore. And you can be living in a rural area in the UK and and still be taught by some of the best minds. And um, obviously that's a very kind of high level to it, but it, it dives much deeper than that as well. Yeah, I think that's actually a good point about gamifying education because uh, sometimes that's the only way to get someone's attention is, you know, long term because they they have a preconceived notion about the topic that they're supposed to learn. Um, I think one, honestly, one probably interesting way would be how, you know, a lot of companies do like sexual harassment training, for instance. Um, I think that there'd be some ways to make that more interesting than it is now so that you actually remember things. Because I, I got to tell you, I think sometimes when people go through those, I think if you were to actually ask them afterwards some hard questions about what they had just read, they wouldn't remember. Uh, it doesn't stick in their head from here to here. Uh, it's just leaves. And I think by having it part of a game where to think and put put a puzzle together or whatever, um, it sticks, you know, yeah. the, the, the memory sticks. I mean, like I say, as a chess player, I mean, I have books and books and books <laughs> of, of chess positions that are like, you know, white to play and win in three moves. And you have to figure out what those three moves are. And some people say, oh, it's not helpful because in a real game, no one's whispering over your shoulder that you have a win in three moves. And that's true, but it's about pattern recognition. And like you mentioned before, the, the fact that it's possible to happen. And so you should almost be looking for that throughout the game, right? Not just when someone whispers in mm. your ear. Um, yeah. so, so what do you see, like, like is, is this learning avenue where you're sticking or do you see some um, diversification coming down the line where perhaps you branch out into other areas uh, with your software? Um, we, we're kind of firmly sticking in the camp of so-called soft skills, those interpersonal skills. And I mean, VR learning can be used for a range of things like surgeons are using it. People who are trained to use cranes use it anywhere where there's a high risk consequence, whether that be a physical risk to life or just uh, a mental risk to your confidence or embarrassment or something like that. That's where I think it's really well suited and in terms of soft skills I think the the biggest benefit is the emotional response that you get through something like virtual reality that you become emotionally connected to the learning material and I think even going back to say using AI in the classroom but using AI and VR it's the next generation of learning it's that evolution of learning that it doesn't mean that it's bad it just means that is this actually a more effective way to learn in which case why wouldn't we use that um I think as long as we are conscious of the potential negative side effects like if we think of something like social media when that first came out it was brilliant and we couldn't have 
predict, or most of us couldn't have predicted the the negative effects on social health, for example. Um, but I think as long as we remain aware of that kind of thing, and when we're using it in the classroom, for example, I would always tell our clients across the board, actually, not to spend longer than 15 minutes in VR. That's for various reasons. But I also think that it's VR and AI shouldn't be used as tools to replace everything. They're not the answer to absolutely everything, um, but they can be added into that learning toolbox. Um, so yeah, we to go back to your question, um, we're going to focus on those interpersonal skills and somewhat ironically using technology <laughs> to teach people communication skills. Excellent, excellent. I, I kind of figured that's what you were going to say because I think I think soft skills, um, there's never been really great ways to help, as we spoke earlier, to help people develop those. And um, now there is. And I think the, you know, the main, I think the main challenge for you is just getting known and having, having people know that you're, that you exist because, um, you know, I have no idea what the competitive landscape looks like for you, but um, this is new to me. Um, you know, using VR combined with AI to help people with soft skills is is really new to me. And as a coach, it's exciting to me because it's the one thing that takes the longest throughout a program with a client is the soft skills. I can say to them, I can say to them, look, here's a tool that will help you understand what your team is doing. They grasp that right away. But then when you say, well, you know what, the new the new superpower, I actually have a post up right now about this. The new superpower in, uh, for tech executives is approachability. And then they say, what? What does that mean? And then you start to explain it to them. Some people get it. A lot of people don't get it. What What does approachability mean? What does it look like? Um, and I think being able to drill that, um, even, even if all they were doing was watching, like they fed a scenario in, to some software that they dealt with and then they watch the software play their role. I think even that helps, you know, um, a great deal because I've taken things that I've written, for instance, and given it to AI and then it'll just make little tweaks to it. And I say, Oh, it's so much better. All with just maybe, you know, one extra sentence or taking two words out of a sentence um, that I would have never thought of, but then you see that enough. And you find that you're just doing it instinctively yourself. Um, and I think the soft skills will come and then people will, uh, they'll see the benefits with their team. So like, like talking about approachability, suddenly they're getting asked questions they weren't getting asked before that were frustrating them that they weren't getting asked. It's because you weren't approachable. I mean, if you, if you look mm -hmm. like this gruff, grumpy guy behind a desk all the time, um, nobody wants to come and talk to you, uh, and regardless of how important it is. So that's really interesting. So well, this has been an interesting conversation. Um, I really appreciate you being here. Why don't you let our, our audience know where they can find you? Um, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, you can connect with me directly on LinkedIn, um, or you can just visit the virtual speech website where virtualspeech.com. So it's all one word. That's an easy one. <laughs> yeah, it is. Although I must admit, I mean, now that you know that we kind of created the company by accident, I would recommend if anybody was to start a company to to really think through your brand there because we created it for fun and we were like, oh, it's a speech in VR. It's a virtual speech. Um, but we made it one word and most people automatically type it out as two because 
especially since the pandemic, the the phrase virtual speech means something completely different now. We didn't have that in our vocabulary eight years ago. So that's why I always say yeah. like, one word virtual speech. That's inter- That's actually an interesting point. Um, the, the pandemic definitely gave a different meaning to the word virtual, actually. Um, yeah, exactly. It, it has invaded everywhere, that word. Um, yeah, it has. My Google alerts went crazy <laughs> in the pandemic because before... I just had a Google alert for virtual speech. And if we were picked up in the press for something, I'd get an alert and suddenly the pandemic hit and I was getting everybody's virtual speeches sent to my inbox. <laughs> I can only, I can only imagine I use, I use Google alerts to um, keep an eye on some things. And there's a brand that we have that's three words and it'll give me alerts for any article where those three words are anywhere near each other. <laughs> and then you're like, why did you send me that? So I can only imagine if if you were looking for virtual speech as a um, as a trigger, yeah, you probably got inundated. Well, thanks again though for being here. Really do Maybe appreciate your your time and everything you've shared with us today. Um, thanks for tuning in to gaining the technology leadership edge. Um, we hope that you've had a great time with us, learning everything you need to know to stay ahead of the technology curve. And remember, be curious, be updated on all the latest trends, and show them who's the boss. Until next time, we'll be back with plenty more techie tips and tricks so you can stay on top of your game.